Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, our memory verse for the month. Romans 12. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Again, many of you have already memorized it. Uh, it's awesome. It's awesome. Use it as a verse to not just memorize, but meditate. There is biblical meditation. That's, that's not something to be afraid of, right? Meditate just means to run it over and over in your mind. Okay? Alrighty. Before we pray, I do want to uh, give you a, a really brief update. If you were here last Sunday, we shared with you that uh, through Christmas and into the new year uh, that God had brought us uh, in connection uh, with the uh, leadership team from Live Oak Christian Fellowship. Just wonderful, wonderful uh, shepherds over there. And uh, through conversations with Pastor Tom's retirement and everything, uh, that we had come to a place where uh, we asked you to pray and they were going to present to their congregation, you know, that they had got to the place where, you know, let, in our heart for you and, and for what's best for, for that part of the body of, of Christ, you know, they were going to present to them the, the possibility of, of come alongside, uniting with us, joining with us. And uh, just to update you, they did do that, okay? And uh, we said last Sunday that we were just going to pray, continue to pray and wait. And that's essentially where we are. Uh, they have communicated back to us that that happened. And as a leadership team, uh, they are doing their best out of the heart for their people to hear God's voice and to shepherd them through the process. Um, if you've ever been through uh, a situation in a church where the pastor left, you know that that's, that's a pretty emotional thing. That's a, that's a hard thing. There's, a, there's grieving. There's, it's not something you rush. It's not something you rush. I mean, sometimes we get so used to, to church that we think we're here a lot. If, you, if you're, like, totally committed to church, how many times are you here a month on a Sunday? <laughs> right? Okay, if you go to every Wednesday night, you're, in a month, you're here eight times. So, so sometimes we think that, that oh, why, why isn't it happening? Well, things just take time, you know, and, and God's not in a rush. God's not in a rush. And, and sometimes the challenge is that God doesn't go on our time team. Amen? Right? Hey, God, you know, if you would just do it my way, we, we, you know, no, it doesn't work that way. So we would just ask you to continue to pray for them, pray for their uh, elders and the shepherds over there that love their people dearly and are just, just they're human. And, and we do our best to discern God's voice and God's will. And, and, and even that's a very challenging task. So pray for the elders, pray for that body of Christ that God would, would reveal his will in his time. Okay? And, and as more comes to light as we have more direction most certainly uh let you know okay but we're just we're just patiently waiting and giving giving the elders there in that body really a chance to do what god needs to do amen okay romans 12 1 and 2 therefore i urge you brothers in view of god's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to god this is your spiritual act of worship do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You, God, for the transformation that uh, we have been celebrating, are celebrating, and by faith will be celebrating as we continue to renew our minds. 
primarily through your word and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so Father, thank you. And now as we gather, uh, our desire is not just to be hearers, uh, but doers, but doers as well. And Lord, um, just accomplish your will for us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So if you've been with us really quick, that word transformed is metamorphosis, right? Metamorphosis. Uh, God doesn't call us to be good and happy. He calls us to be what? Godly and holy, right? To be more like Him, right? And that word metamorphosis, the word picture we've had for several weeks now is this, right? We're not called as Christians to be the best caterpillar we can be. We're called as Christians to be in this process called sanctification, where we are more and more transformed from the inside out to be like who? Jesus, right? And uh, thank you, Shiloh. The, the word transformed is, is, is the same word as, remember, Jesus was transfigured, right? The Mount of Transfiguration. What happened there? Supernaturally, Jesus allowed his boys to see what was on the inside. The inside was revealed. Right? And as believers in this process of sanctification, in this transformation, in our pursuit of Christ-likeness, what are we trying to do? Really, let the inside out. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So really, this process of sanctification, the transformation, is a supernatural process where more and more we put off the old, we put on the new, and Jesus is more and more what? Just revealed from the inside out. Amen? That's what we've been looking at as we kick off uh, 2016. If you've seen your notes there, we've been looking at what I call some roadblocks on this journey to transformation. Churchiness. You know, the church at Ephesus had gotten caught up in doing church and being right versus loving God. So sometimes in our desire to, to be right and to do right, we just lose our love for the Lord. And that can be a roadblock to transformation. The church at Laodicea had become comfortable, complacent. They lived in a city like Ojai, very wealthy, very comfortable. And that material complacency had led to spiritual complacency. And Jesus says, hey, by the way, you're blind, naked. You called them out spiritually. Right? That can be a roadblock. Circumstances. The guy, the invalid at the well. Jesus says, hey, do you want to be well? I know you've been an invalid for 38 years. He was so focused on circumstance. Well, you know, I don't have anyone to get me into the water. And eh, da, da, da. And sometimes we get so focused on the circumstances of our life that when God comes along and says, hey, do you want to be transformed? Oh, blah, 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 blah. I didn't ask you all the negatives. I didn't ask you to give me a laundry list of all the why nots. I just asked you, do you want to be transformed? Do you want to be made well? But sometimes we focus on circumstances, right? We get overwhelmed. Last week, we looked at control, right? At control. Let's look at Matthew. Let's, let's launch off where we ended. Matthew 16, Jesus and Peter, right? Jesus had asked his boys, hey, who do people say that I am? Right? And Peter gives incredible answer you are the christ the son of the living god right matthew 16 16 jesus replies in verse 17 blessed are you simon son of jonah for this was not revealed to you by man but by my father in heaven and i tell you that you are peter and on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hades will not overcome it right so peter has this incredible revelation a spiritual victory god reveals something to him he boldly proclaims you are the christ the son of the living god and jesus goes woohoo 
Way to go, bud. Right? And then verse 21 happens. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him. Never, Lord, He said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We looked at that in, 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 as one possible roadblock in our journey of transformation is that Peter, Peter didn't like what Jesus said about this whole going to Jerusalem, death, and all this. It was a control issue. Who's in charge? Who's in charge? Right? Never, Lord. Really? Who's Lord? I, Peter takes him aside and rebukes Jesus. He rebukes Jesus. Now, before we get too mad at Peter and say, how could you? Anybody here ever lovingly ask God why? Anyone ever like, You ever had one of those moments? Because something that God was allowing or even saying through His Word didn't jive with how you would do it. Right? And Peter was wrestling with, okay, who's, who's, in, who's, who's in charge? Who's in control of this? Right? And, and, we, and we looked at that. We looked at that. And that's why Jesus says, hey, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and what? Follow. Right? That covenant relationship, that key word, diatheke, which is greater to lesser. Even when you're a follower of Jesus, you are a follower of Jesus. He is always the greater. We are always the lesser. We are to follow Him. And so Peter was challenged with who's in control? Who's in charge? Okay, I don't get it. I don't like it. But okay. Now there's something else happening here which leads us into uh, where we're going to be this next possible roadblock, what I call the can and can't. Look at... Look at what verse 21 says again. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Okay. The other issue underlying this, and it wasn't just an issue of control or who's in charge. If you remember back in verse 16, Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The Christ is Messiah, the anointed one. The Jews had a very specific view of what the Messiah was going to be, right? Basically, a political, military ruler who was going to set up an earthly kingdom and free them from who? Rome, right? What Jesus was saying about uh, Jerusalem, suffer many things, must be killed, third day of his life, that didn't, that didn't jive with Peter's preconceived ideas, what he considered possible or even true okay we all carry that look in your notes i put this here sometimes you know there's just i come across things and there's just no way for me to verbally um explain it the word plausible okay what happened was jesus said something that in peter's worldview was not plausible what's the word plausible possibly true realistic believable reasonable credible worthy of confidence Peter had such 
a zeroed-in view of what the Messiah was and wasn't, that when Jesus came at him with something completely out of that box, Peter wigged out. It wasn't plausible. It wasn't even possibly true. That's part of his reaction. Okay? Now, we all, everybody, has what we call a plausibility structure. Okay? This is not a Christian thing. This is just a belief. If you have a belief, everybody on this planet, to some degree or another, has a plausibility structure. Some of us are more aware of it than others. Here's the definition, then we're going to talk about it. Everything that we believe... If you don't have sermon notes, you can raise your hands too because we have extra ones. Okay? Everything that we believe is filtered through our plausibility structures, which are belief form. It's a belief-forming apparatus that acts as a gatekeeper, letting in evidence that is matched against what we already consider to be possible. I underline that. Plausibility structures filter out claims that we believe cannot be reasonable or potentially true. Think of Peter. They don't necessarily tell us if a claim is true, only that the truth of the claim appears plausible enough for us to accept and that we are not wholly unwarranted in thinking it could be true. We all have what's called a plausibility structure. Case in point. We're going to give you some examples just so you understand this. Sometimes if you try to share your faith and you talk about the incarnation, Jesus' birth, resurrection, right? Uh, Creation. Somebody, a non-believer, will dismiss you right out. Why? Because in their plausibility structure, miracles cannot happen. You're throwing verse after verse after verse. The reason it's not resonating is in their worldview, in their plausibility structures, miracles are impossible. You see how it filtered it out? Filtered it out right away. I've had people come to me and say, I'm trying to get people to believe that this is the Word of God. I'm like, well, how are you doing that? Well, I'm giving them a bunch of Scripture. Okay, I get your heart. Here's the problem with that. If in their plausibility structure they don't believe this is the Word of God, they're not going to receive Scriptures from you as the Word of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying you don't share Scripture. What I am saying is that you have to take another step back and go, okay, well, let's discuss why I believe this is the Word of God. Let's look at manuscript evidence. Let's look at archaeology. Let's look at fulfilled prophecy. What you're doing is you're trying to enlarge their plausibility structure to even entertain the possibility that this is the Word of God. You guys understand? Amen? See, a lot of times we, we don't get where people are at and we're sharing and we're sharing and we're sharing and the reason, part of the reason it's not being received is that they have a filter that it's not even possible. So what you're, sharing, what you're sharing with them, not that it's not true, but it's coming up, wah wah, wah wah, wah wah, wah wah, wah wah. Because if someone doesn't believe that miracles can happen, well, they're just going to dismiss the resurrection. They're going to dismiss Jesus' birth. They're going to dismiss God's provision daily as what? Myth. Fable. Irrelevant. Irrelevant. We all have these plausibility structures, right? Marvin. UCLA will defeat USC every year from here on out. Well, we have an amen because that's your plausibility. Marvin is a diehard USC fan. 
in his plausibility structure, it is not possible for that to happen. Right? Okay, right? In his plausibility structure, it is, it is an impossibility for, for USC to lose every other game against UCLA. That's just, see, that, that's a plausibility structure. He already has predetermined what's possible. We, we all have them. We all have them. Sometimes even, you know, uh, I've realized in, in church, in counseling, okay, in counseling, when there's relational issues, I'm learning and have learned. You know one of the, the reasons um, people don't make progress in their relationships and changes? Because they've already determined that it's not possible for anyone to change. It's predetermined. They've already decided that so-and-so is never going to change. I'm never going to change. They've already decided this is a mess. They've already decided there's no hope. So they come to counseling. They hear me preach they, or go through counseling. They hear the Word of God. They affirm the Word of God. But deep down, they've already written it off. It's not even plausible for this thing to be fixed. You see? And so because they believe it can't be fixed even by God... They won't do what's necessary. They won't. We all have, to a certain degree, in various levels, what we consider to be even possible. Even possible. Oh, I could never forgive so-and-so. Oh, there's a plausibility structure. You just told God and everyone else what's possible and what isn't. So anytime anyone wants to counsel you about you should really forgive because this is what the Bible says, you've already determined it's not. So it's already filtered out. The gatekeeper says, sorry. You know that verse about forgive as as the Lord forgave you? Powerful verse doesn't resonate because the gatekeeper says that doesn't fit what I already think is true or possible. Very powerful. Very powerful in apologetics very powerful in understanding people and why they don't get it. So how many of you have ever been frustrated because someone just doesn't get it? Can you just get it? It's so simple. Why is it so simple to you? Because it's part of your plausibility structure. You allow it. Your gatekeeper lets it in. You, it, it, yeah, it makes sense to me. They don't get it because their gatekeeper says, eh, sorry, stay outside the door. So if we could take a step back and understand, okay, Lord, show me, show me how to broaden, how to, how to get them to think about what they consider possible. Right? Let's look at a biblical example. Turn to Matthew 13. Look at this. Here's a biblical example of plausibility structure. Matthew 13, 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor, 
and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. What happened? This is where Jesus grew up. This is his hometown. He went out, and they must have heard about his miracles, right? They must have heard about his teaching. So he comes back, and they're like, who does he think he is? It was not plausible. Jesus being a prophet, even being from God, was not part of their plausibility structure because they knew him. They were still stuck in the Jesus they knew growing up. You see? They're like, where did he go? Jesus? We used to play tag. Right? Jesus? We used to, we used to run around. And, and now he's coming back with powers and wisdom? People calling him God? All right, let's bring this right here. Right? Let's bring it right here. Steve. Steve-O in the back. Decides one day to walk down the arcade here because he's God. And people, yeah, he's like, yeah, right? And people are gathering at Libby Park to hear Steve-O. Right? What would Steve-O's friends who saw him growing up, how would they react? Yeah, right. <laughs> Steve-O! Steve-O! We used to do this and that and that. Steve-O! Steve-O's in Libby teaching people? Right? Why? Because it's not part of their plausibility structure. It's not possible. They can't even entertain that thought. See? That's why I feel funny even when I go back to San Diego and I run into people from high school that knew me before I was a believer. Even my college friends. You're a pastor? (laughs) I'm like, yeah. You know what I mean? I always kind of cringe because they have a picture of me. And so the word pastor next to my name, for many people, I get this verse because they look at me funny. Really? Really? You know, we have these, 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 these possibility things. We were at a, a family reunion over, the, over Christmas. And one of my cousins comes up to me and she says, Hey, I hear you're a pastor and you started your own church. I said, yeah, it's really awesome. And talking about you guys and how relational we are. And, and I don't know how it comes up, but she goes, Somehow it came up that, that we help people. We help people. And I said, Yeah, and even, even you know, one of the ladies in our church, sometimes she needs firewood cut. And, and stacked, and, and I, you know, we'll go stack firewood. And, and I kid you not, this is what my cousin says. You cut firewood for people? She lives in L.A. She said, you cut firewood? Yeah. Like with an axe and chainsaw? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> See, what's happening is, is her view of pastor and, and that, that, that possibility that that's even possible. She was just, it was so funny. Her husband just happened to come up. She goes, he cuts firewood. He cuts firewood for people, you know? What was happening? Her wires were getting crossed that a pastor would or could even cut firewood. Do you understand what I'm saying? We all carry them. We all carry them. Sometimes we don't know we have them until something catches us off guard. And here's the thing. Oh, that could never happen. Oh, I don't believe that. Anyone? Right? Oh! You know? When we're caught off guard is when we're betrayed by things. And sometimes what's being revealed is your, what you call your plausibility structure. Right? Your plausibility structure. I put several examples there. We don't, we're not going to look through them all. But, but think about, uh, remember when the Israelites came to Canaan? And God said, hey, go into the land that I'm giving you. And he sent out spies. 
spout the land. And they came back with the report. Ten of them said, we can't. We're like grasshoppers to the people. They're big, you know. Joshua and Caleb, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. God is with us. He's given it. Yeah. You see the difference of plausibility structures? Ten of them said, not possible. Two of them said, no, God's with us. We can do this. We can do this. Remember in 1 Samuel 17, David and Goliath. Right? The Israelites, the Philistines, Goliath, nine feet tall, for 40 days comes out in what we call talk trash to the Israelites. Ah, hey, why don't you pick your best? Come against me. We'll fight. And whoever wins, we'll just call it the winner of the whole battle. Forty days. He shows up. All the Israelites for 40 days. Ah, ah, he's so big. We're going to lose. We're going to lose. David shows up. Right? I'll take him. What do they say? You can't. You're just a little boy. You can't take him on. What does David say? God's with me. God is with me. See the plausibility? See the plausibility structures? Saul and the Israelite army says, we can't. David, because of his experience with God, out in the field, says, I can. God can. Through me. What's possible, what isn't. Right? Turn to Luke. Look at a New Testament illustration. Luke 1. Story in Luke 1 of the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus. Look at another contrast again. Luke 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah. He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children. Because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Okay? And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will bring, he, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words which will come true at the proper time. This is a priest. This is a guy who's walking with God blamelessly. He has a supernatural and a supernatural encounter with an angel, Gabriel, in the temple. The, the angel says, your prayer, remember that thing you've been praying for? <laughs> it's being answered. Zachariah doesn't believe him. How? 
We're old. We're old. How? Uh, plausibility structure. Uh, is this even possible? And his silence was actually a bit of discipline and correction. It says, verse 25, And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day because you did not believe my words. There was unbelief there. It was outside of his possibility. Even though he had been praying. What would happen if God answered your prayers, guys? Really? Really? How is that? Well, you've been praying. <laughs> Do you pray as if it's possible for God to answer your prayer? Really? And if he did answer your prayer, would you be like, I don't believe it. <laughs> then why were you praying? Right? Contrasted with Mary. Let's go to verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left to her. Mary didn't understand. Hey, you know, I'm a virgin, never been with a man, but okay. Can you tell me a little bit how it's going to happen? But it wasn't an issue of unbelief. It was more an issue of how. And then she submitted. What's the difference in all those illustrations? Your focal. Where are you focusing? Zechariah. Hey, we're people. Uh, we're old. Saul and the Israelites. Hey, he's a big guy. He's their champion. The ten spies. There's giants in the land. There's giants in the land. They're focusing on on themselves, their own ability, limited ability, their own limited understanding on the on the obstacle. Everything, man. Everything, man. What's the difference with Joshua and Caleb? The Lord, the Lord said he'd give it to us. David, the Lord is with me. I come against you, Goliath, in the name of the Lord. Right? Mary, nothing is impossible. Okay, may it be to me. They were focused on God. The object of their faith, this is very important, the object of their faith was God. What's the object of my faith and your faith? See, many times if we're not careful, my faith is based on me. It's not that I don't believe God. It's not that I don't trust God. But when, it, when, when rubber meets the road, my faith is based on what I can do, what I can understand, my resources. I become the object of my faith. Huge difference. You have to ask yourself, who is the object or what is the object of your faith? Let me, let me give you an illustration right now. All of you right now are putting your, your faith in an object. 
the pew. I don't see anybody here trying to exert faith to help the pew. You're just resting in this object. You trust it with your health. This is the object. You didn't even know. Every time you gather, you put your, ob- your faith in an object. I didn't see Diana going, come on, pew. i got to help you, pew. The pew holding me up is based on me and how fervent I am, how emotional I am, how sincere I am. How Has anybody here been praying to help the pew along? You trust the pew. God says, trust me. What is the object of your faith? Who is the object of your faith? What if you had a relationship, a transformative relationship with God, where you are as at peace with your relationship and what God calls you to do as you are at peace right now, sitting? Anybody been anxious about the pew collapsing since we've been together? Okay, now I'm going to really... Lift your feet off the ground. Oh, you're right now you're aware. But none of you were like, hold, I haven't seen anybody do this and hold it. Has anyone's hands been under the pew holding it up? No. What if you are at that, that had that level of peace and security and confidence with God that you have right now sitting there? What is or who is the object of your faith? Because all of us in our plausibility structures, if we're really honest, there are areas in our life that come under can't or highly skeptical or very unlikely. And I've asked some people, strong believers, hey, if you're really honest with me, what are some can'ts that God can't do this? If you're really honest. One person said fears and anxieties. One person said... um, Confidence. Confidence, just confidence. One person even said, I don't know if God can help me write better for school. One person said, chocolate and caffeine. (laughs) They're not sure God can transform them in that area. I love that honesty. That's real. That's real. So let me ask you, because I've been asked the question constantly this week. What in my life, what in your life, if we were really honestly, we would kind of slide over to the God can't category. God can't change my habits. God can't change the, the lustful thoughts. God can't break my addiction. God can't heal a relationship. God can't enable me to forgive. God can't. God can't. And how is that manifested? Well, good luck with that. It's just the way I am. I've always been that way. Those are key words that you're basically, that's code words for God can't. And here's the thing. In my life and in your life, if you believe that God can't, you won't. You won't read. You won't pray. You won't do the things necessary to renew your mind because what's the point? What's the point? Why bother? If God can't change me in this area, what's the point of going to Wednesday night? What's the point of going to church? What's the point of memorizing Scripture like the pastor says? It doesn't matter because God can't. So if we want to be part of that transformation process, guys, one of the things we have to really be honest with ourselves and with God and with 
trusted brothers and sisters? What God? What is it in your life that God can't do? Sometimes, sometimes, you know, we talk about plateauing and we get to a place spiritually, and we wonder why are we plateaued? Why aren't we in that process anymore? It's because we've got to the place where God wants to deal with the can'ts. Because you got to a place where you cleaned up and God's transformed you to a certain point and He wants to take you to the next level. And He says, well, you know that one area that you say can't? How about we work on that in 2016? See, I've got a lot of can'ts. And my challenge is which one? <laughs> which one, Lord, do you want to move just from the can't even just barely into the can? That's transformative. Think of an area in life that you have just labeled as can't, impossible, not possible, written off, and if you were to move it to the can, what would that do to your motivation? What would that do to your zeal? What would that do to your desire to get in the Word and what God says about that issue? And what would it do with your desire to begin proactively putting on new habits? Because God can. Amen? Because God can. You've got to be real. Has, it, has, has your faith kind of settled into what you can? What you can? And what you can't? Look at those verses we put there on the back side. Remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? Abraham's about 100, Sarah's 90, and God says, hey, you're going to have a kid. Ah! Right? Sarah laughs. Right? Look at these verses. The object of our faith. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Verse 14, Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Job, Job 42, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Jeremiah 32:17. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arms. Nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah 32. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Luke 137. For nothing is impossible with God. Revelation 19.1. After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. So, think of that one thing. Think of one thing that's on that cant and put those verses right next to it. Put, get your can't list and then put those verses next to it. You're either going to believe it or you're not. You're either going to trust God or you're not. Who is the object of your faith? Who is the object of your faith? Right? You remember Peter? The guys are in the boat and Jesus comes walking out on water. Right? They all, ah, it's a ghost, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. Right? And Jesus says, hey, chill out, it's me. And Peter says, hey, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come. Okay, come. Now, plausibility structure. Peter's a fisherman. He knows that human beings in the natural world, when they step on water, they sink. Right? If it's you, tell me to come. Come. Okay. Based on Jesus' word alone, my plausibility structure just got destroyed. 
Because now I must trust Him to do something supernatural and humanly impossible. Peter gets up and steps out. You know what that's an indication of? Faith. Faith and that his plausibility structure based on the Word of God is now being rewritten. It's this big now. Much as Peter sank, he got out. And despite everything that told him as an experienced fisherman that human beings sink on water, based on God's Word alone, he got up and got out of the boat and stepped and walked. It's time for us, based on God's Word alone, to get up and take a step into that area that you believe is humanly impossible. It's time to step. What is it in your life where you will say, Lord, based on your word alone, tell me to come? Maybe your boat is named fear. Maybe your boat is named anxiety. Maybe your boat is a habit. Maybe your boat. And you say, Lord, tell me to come. And everything in you tells you, if I get out of the boat of fear, I'm going to die. Something terrible is going to happen if I give up this fear, if I give up this issue. Okay. Get that. That's real. That's real. That's why we're called the body of Christ to help one another, to be there for one another. What is it in your life where God is saying, come, come, based on my word alone? Nothing is too difficult. Nothing is impossible. I created everything. Move that thing from the can't list to the can because God is the object of your faith. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, Peter was challenged to do something humanly impossible in the natural realm inconceivable everything in at the human level was crying out can't and Lord each of us in our lives because of our experiences because of our own fears and doubts may have that same areas where we see the giants in the land instead of you. Where we see our limitations, our age, our, our, our old ways of doing things rather than you. Lord, what is it in our life as we sit here that we've labeled a can't? And because we've labeled it a can't, we won't. We won't do what's necessary to renew our minds. Our enthusiasm, our motivation, our love for you is waning because we're confronted with things we consider can'ts, impossible, even for you to fix, even for you to transform. So, Father, this morning, we just open our lives before you. And like Peter, we say, Lord, if it is you, and it is you, tell us to come. Tell us to come. By faith in you, not ourselves, by faith in you and your word, the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you are here this morning, and you would be honest with God and say, Lord, this is a cant in my life, or these are the cants in my life. If you're here and you already identified it, and you're here and you're like, Lord, I understand now my faith has to be, the object of my faith is you. 
Not me, not circumstance, not the past. My, the object of my faith moving forward must be you. And Lord, based on your word, like Peter, I am going to get out of the boat. If that is you, I'm going to ask you to do something. This is a physical representation. of You don't have to have it all together, but just that one step of faith to move something from the can't to the can because of who God is. If you are there, you say, Lord, I'm going to, by faith, give you this area because you can. I want you to stand up. There's something in your life. You're going to stand up like Peter and say, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Stand where you are so we can pray for you. Father, I look around this room. Many who love you and and the desire to walk with you and talk with you and, and be in relationship with you. And somehow, over the years, we've developed these lists of camps. And yet this morning, you have called us to put our faith in you, the object of our faith. And so like Peter, in the best way we know how, Father, we ask you to forgive us for our lack of faith. We ask you to forgive us for, for relying on ourselves rather than you. And now, Father, we stand before you just as, just symbolically saying, here we are. Don't know how this is going to play out, but we trust you. We reaffirm that our object of my faith is in you. There's nothing too hard for you. There's nothing impossible. So, Father, I yield my life to walk in obedience and the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting that you will transform me from the inside out, one step, one issue, one area at a time, for your glory. For your glory. You may be seated. And, Father, now as we prepare to take communion, we hear a song called In the Garden. The chorus says, And He walks with me and He talks with me and He tells me I am His own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. So Father, as we walk forward and we take communion, we do so again in faith. Jesus, You are the object of our faith for salvation. We put our faith in You. We take communion as symbolic of our faith in You as the Savior, as our Savior. And this morning we come forward in a spirit of, of reverence, a spirit of prayer, a spirit of reflection as we have chosen by faith to move areas from the can't to the can because nothing is too difficult for you. So we're going to invite you, if you'd like to come forward, take the communion cups. You can go back to your seats. Take communion as you would like. And just a very prayerful, very uh, reflective time of uh, being with the Lord. A word of encouragement <clears throat> before we pray and dismiss. If you've been in church for any length of time, or if you carry a pastor's title, uh, title of pastor, to admit that you have camps, that God can't, 
That's a pretty humbling thing. But don't allow that to prevent you from asking for help from brothers and sisters. Yeah, it's pretty weighty to say, yeah, I'm honestly, God, I I have felt for a really long time God can't do that. You know, that's a pretty weighty statement, especially in light of the verses. But if that's true, it's true. That's just a starting point though, right? You acknowledge it. You repent. You change your mind. You see, all we've done today is God has given you an opportunity to change your mind about this issue. You, you got here today, and there was an issue that was a can't. You see how good God is? An hour and a half later, you're leaving here, and one or more issues have been repented of, changed, and now they're cans. Huh? You got here, and you're leaving different. Because something has moved from can't to can in the power of God. Amen? Let's stand together. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you that there is nothing too difficult for you. There is nothing impossible. And may we be inspired by the examples we've looked at. May we be inspired to walk by faith. May we be inspired to have our minds renewed through your word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we are transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, may it be a wonderful testimony and glorify you. And all God's people said, Amen. Give us-